As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working Al Willie Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE. L-U-K-E at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, Ex-Girlfriend, <laughs> how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. Their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfuel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. Do you know what's spookier than seeing a black cat on Halloween? It's shaving your junk with anything other than Manscaped. Oh, that is scary. When it comes to below-the-waist grooming, there's no need to carve your pumpkins this Halloween because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Now, go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar. Yeah, you get it? And join the two million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with promo code JED. Now, that's simply J-E-D, and you put that promo code in, they'll give you 20% off plus free shipping. Have you ever tried to trim your junk and it turned into a Freddy Krueger film? (laughs) Well, luckily, Manscaped is here to save the day and make sure you're smelling fresh with a new refined body wash. Fellas, 
the ladies love their signature scent, and it will scare away those vampires. So unlock your confidence with the Performance Package 4.0. Inside, you'll find the holy grail of men's grooming items. They've made it easy for you guys. Upgrade your grooming routine with Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with promo code JED, that's J-E-D, at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off plus free shipping. Doesn't get any better than that. Manscaped.com, promo code JED. Guys, say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny with Manscaped. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss... U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsmen, drag racing, and racers. Big Jed, as always, great to hear your voice. Um, <laughs> I'll just be completely transparent. I told someone else this the other day. We are like four plus years into this. Um, it's a pretty considerable time suck. There is no profit involved here. <laughs> I I enjoy doing the show. I don't think I think it is fair to say, Jed, I would not have done this for four consecutive years, would not continue to do it were it not for the opportunity to talk to you just about every week. I love this stuff. <laughs> that is the most goodest part of this by far, <laughs> Luke. Uh, it definitely doesn't make any money. It's definitely a draw on your personal time. It's definitely a challenge to sync schedules and make sure that you know, we've got good show topics, which you handle most all of that. So um, definitely would not want to do this with anyone else. And, you know, there's times I don't even want to do it with you. So uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, I can't you know, imagine uh, that it is as entertaining to do this show with me as it is to do this show with you. So I understand where you're coming from. No, it's very entertaining. And I can say <laughs> definitely the draw is uh, getting to hang out with you a little bit and, and chat. And I, I do. I learn a lot just by sitting back and muting and, and listening to you some. So still. Lord I'm, knows I give you plenty of opportunities. I think I'm getting that. smarter. All you got to convince is yourself. <laughs> We've got a fun show on tap. Uh, as we record this, we have uh, recorded the show. It is late, late on Tuesday oh. night. And in, in fact, we are 99% <laughs> sure that producer Mark uh, has, has, has lost consciousness and, and, is, and is pleasantly sleeping, probably has been for over an hour. So uh, good, good shout, for you, bro. When he hears this, well, yeah, good for you. Good for you. Uh, what we've got on tap. Um, great to see some new names and faces in the winner's circle because that's what happened at the fall play. <laughs> yeah. Or, awesome. or not. Them Emmons, family domination. Them Emmons, them Emmons, Big Jed, have been red hot. Uh, yeah. A little bit of NHRA talk, not, maybe not quite as much as in recent weeks. We tried to throttle that back a little bit. But again, the most wide open uh, national championship chase that I can remember in multiple NHRA categories. It's going to be really fun to chase going down the line. We'll, we'll set that up a little bit. We've got multiple millions on the horizons. We talk about that a little bit and we close the show with, uh, man, just a, a fun segment that's way out of our wheelhouse. 
we've got the real housewives of competition eliminator like some good old fashioned competition eliminator drama and we'll do our best to lay it out it doesn't make a whole lot of sense at times but it's pretty entertaining so stick around for that plus <laughs> if you're a loyal listener to the show you know i've been pretty hard on one specific state in the union and as we record i happen to reside in said state i might have a rough weekend in front of me oh i owe all that and more but first pj north you know then you know it's those long nights early mornings rolling down these old back roads working all big jed big show lots to cover uh i think we start in the only logical place for what we typically cover and that is the fall fling bristol and i think at least in my mind, we can go a lot of directions with this. I think we'll spend some time on it. But Jed, in an age where I think it's hard to argue that parity reigns supreme in big dollar bracket racing. Like we all say anybody can win. The, the competition is so stiff. The package is so tight. It is inevitable that you're going to see different faces in the winner circle you're going to see different names on the page and yet the same faces keep showing up <laughs> in the winner circle the same names keep popping up on drag champ uh this week was more of the same highlighted i think in large part by kyle Coltrera and jeff sarah but basically throughout uh, the finalists from bristol uh, all names we've been very familiar with, particularly this season and over the past few years. Yeah, Luke, it's remarkable that, you know, you, you get three or 400 entries at these things and, you know, you think, okay, well, we're going to get some, some fresh faces in the winter circle. But, you know, as they say, winning breeds winning. And, and I guess this group of guys must go to the starting line with the, the most confidence of anyone at the track. Now I know that don't always equate to wind lights, but my goodness, I am so sick of these talented racers showing up on the podcast <laughs> in the winter circle every stinking week. <laughs> now, of course I kid, but uh, it's, it's really remarkable. Uh, it's that, it's that same group. You know, you, you might get a little bit of mix up here and there. Uh, might Some of them might skip a, a four to six week period before they make a big final or something. But my goodness, this this is unbelievable how the, the list that we're about to talk about, how they perform on a regular basis in a very competitive environment. Luke. I mean, very. And as you know, you know that. But it's just I'll unbelievable. Uh, continues his banner season. I think if it wasn't for Jeff Sarah, if it wasn't for Nick Hastings, Coltrera would be headlining this show uh, on a very regular basis, right? He has had a standout season. Yes. He wins the $100,000 to win main event. Um, Garrett Griffith wins the first main event, $25,000 to win. Beats Matt Dattis in the final. Uh, two guys that we have discussed repeatedly here on the show this season. Chris Whitfield, maybe uh, the guy that doesn't get the most attention, but he was in 
two final rounds over the weekend. Uh, was runner-up in both of them. That adds to his resume, which, oh, by the way, included, if you'll remember, uh, a runner-up in the Spring Fling Million in Vegas back in April. And just when we thought, Jed, that after three, four days in Bristol, like, whoa, what's going on here? We're actually going to have a weekend where Jeff Sarah isn't in a big dollar race final. Eh. The final day rolls around and uh, and Jeff shares Jeff Sarah shines through yet again, twenty five thousand dollar winner just to add to the incredible resume that he has already amassed in twenty twenty one. How is it, Jed, in this age that these particular racers continue to, uh, for lack of a better word? particularly in the case of Jeff Sarah and Kyle Coltrera, dominate? Look, that's a great question. My goodness, I wish I knew the answer. You know, I have to think it's, a, it's multiple things. It's obviously great equipment. It's great talent. It's a lot of confidence. You know, the, you're racing at a facility in Bristol where you get some weather swings. And I, I don't think they got a lot of that during the fling here, but but that place will throw you a curveball from time to time. You need to be able to hit the curveball. These are curveball hitters uh, from way back. And then, you know, I have to think that when you line up against one of these guys, the expectation that you have of yourself has to be raised just a little bit, which can lead to mistakes. I imagine they see some mistakes in the other lane. Uh, guys maybe trying to do things they can't do or trying to overdo it uh, because just your your initial thought is, okay, I've got Kyle Couture, I've got Jeff Sarah, I've got Garrett Griffith, whomever that's just been making great runs and going to big money finals and that he's going to make a great run. I mean a great run, and I have to match it. So I might roll me four or five out. I might uh, try to hold an extra hundredth whatever just maybe things that get me out of my comfort zone just a little bit so i think it's just a little bit of all that i I agree i mean we talked i think it was on last week's episode about the power of momentum and how i think we're speaking directly about jeff sarah but i think it applies to to each of the the names that we just mentioned that there is an element that i think works on both lanes like to your point I feel like when any of us are paired with those guys that have been on such an incredible role, uh, I think that more often than we care to admit, uh, that plays a factor in the other lane, right? That, that we alter our game plan, perhaps subtly, but in a game of thousands of a second, like that's often all that it takes. And I think what a lot of people don't talk about is the role that momentum plays in Jeff Sarah's lane, in Kyle Coltrera's lane, in Garrett Griffith's lane. Like there is, there's a lot to the statement that winning breeds winning. And when you, for lack of a, a better way of, of putting it, like when you get used to seeing the wind light come on in your lane, you expect to see the wind light come on in your lane. And that momentum, confidence, however you want to put that, like are there more mistakes than average opposite? a Jeff Sarah or a Kyle Coltrera? Yes. I mean, I don't think that's monumental, but percentage point wise, yes. 
But at the same time, I think that those racers, as a result of that confidence, as a result of that momentum, are also making more unbeatable runs than they typically would. Again, not monumentally, but percentage points and percentage points add up. But the one thing that I'll add to that, Chad, is like I the word I want to use is is undeterred or seemingly from the outside unshakable determination because it's one thing to step back and look at the seasons that these guys are putting together and say, wow, I mean, they just never lose. In reality, even Jeff Sarah is not necessarily losing more races than he wins, certainly not losing more rounds than he wins, but he, there are more days that he enters competition that he doesn't win than he does, right? As dominant as he's been. And there are rounds that we don't necessarily pay attention to where he doesn't do a fantastic job or, you know, he is very human. And seemingly, those rounds never play into the psyche of these competitors. Like, they keep coming back around and keep putting their best foot forward. Like, Sarah, in this instance, uh, like, his win was on the last day. You know what I mean? So he goes through three, four days of, of being, for lack of a better term, normal. And he is still able to don the Superman cape, right? Like, that it's it's i don't want to oversimplify this and say like it's just mindset it's just determination but that resiliency to keep coming back and continue to have the confidence to make the runs necessary especially in the manner that a jeff sarah or kyle Coltrera does uh, i think can't be understated can't be overstated i think i said that backwards can't be overstated yeah luke i understand completely and and you're 100 correct um you know these guys go to these three, four, five-day events, and, you know, they, they come out one day on top. You know, they were most certainly uh, double-entered in some form, had two shots at it every day. So, you know, you could easily say, well, yeah, he was beat up on for, for three or four of those days and then came out the last day and got it done, but – I think really what's what's most important for anybody that uh, is is on a roll or or having you know dream seasons or any of that is that uh, their their losses are typically really good runs, and I think that just keeps that confidence level very high for them. Uh, you know, I don't know how Jeff got beat, the days he got beat, the entries he got beat on, but. I would imagine he wasn't completely falling out of the car and, and leaving his opponents a lot of room to, to wheel him down there. I, I imagine his opponent, you know, at times was surprised to see the wind light come on in their lane. Uh, well, you know, Jeff was surprised. Right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I think that that is what the great racers do. They make you beat them. And I would imagine that was happening for anybody in, on this list that we talked about. And I know we're going to talk about double entries and those things and, and what is happening with the fling brand. But uh, two shots at it, guys making great runs. There, there's a lot of opportunity for them to turn on wind lights. Uh, 
and that gets lost sometimes for people when they're looking at these results like yeah he's double and got two cars it's still freaking hard real hard and these guys just continue to rise above their competitors in some shape or form on a regular basis and it's, a, it's truly remarkable we mentioned uh in previous episodes jed how that that momentum like it's almost some kind of karmic thing when you get on a on a on a heater the likes of what jeff sarah is on perhaps uh, the likes of which we've we've never really seen before you know not a, at this level and how there is not only a tremendous amount of skill and perhaps an elevated number of mistakes in the other lane, but it just seems like everything falls into place. Like the most stunning examples of that in Bristol. I don't believe it was on the day that Jeff won, but there was a round relatively late in one of the races where Jeff Sarah's opponent, I believe it was Steve Law, was five out total and lost, right? And there was also around, particularly in the day that, that Jeff won, um, in the semifinals, Jeff's paired with Josh Baker. And Josh Baker had been making ridiculous laps. Like, I got to watch the majority of, I guess it was Saturday night's event, and Baker was damn near unbeatable, right? Well, he turns it red in the semis in the round that Sarah's 20. Like, I think the only round all day that, that Sarah was very human, very beatable. And it just, it's it's all lining up like that right now for Jeff Sarah. It's like I say, that almost karmic intervention. Now, I will say in that specific round, Jed, at three cars left in a 25 grander, Josh Baker is a few thou red. Jeff Sarah is 20. Jeff Sarah dialed 462. Jeff Sarah put on the scoreboard 454780. Hundreds under the dial in in a $25,000 semi. Big Jed, I got to admit, it made my heart smile. What made my heart smile more, I'm going to assume for as good of equipment as, as Steve Withrow provides to Jeff Sarah, the dial board must have been broke, Big Jed, because when he rolled back for the final, it still said 462. <laughs> Stuck on there. Uh, that, you know, that's impressive, especially in a day and age, Luke, where people don't want everybody to know, you know, they don't want to show their cards. They get the red light, they click it off at three 30 or what have you, but for him to only have one round remaining. So he is absolutely 100% sure his next opponent knows what he can run. You know, that's not always the case. First round, if you light up the scoreboard, sure. But when you light it up in the next to last round your opponent knows what you can run and it for you to feels, still come back and hold that. It, it's, it's, it really shows a lot of confidence and guts. It feels like Jeff Sarah's car hit the tires. The red light came on in the other lane and it feels like he reached out of the car and pointed to the scoreboard and said, y'all watch this shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it, what better way to put it? Yeah. And, that sums it up. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, Jed, I've thought of like that. I, I, I know that that is not uncommon, right? It, 
it is uncommon in this day and age. It is not uncommon for Jeff Sarah. Like I, my impression is that we've talked about it before. That is the the go to strategy. But for whatever reason, that particular round really catalyzed this in my mind. And I and and for whatever reason, I've thought about it a lot in the days since. And there is like significant method to the madness in my mind. Now, keep in mind. Jeff Sarah has a very unique skill set, right? And something that he has worked to build for years and years and years, right? Um, but on both ends of the racetrack, like is as good or better than anyone right now today on the starting line and supremely gifted at the finish line, like can literally do anything that you could be asked in a race car. Like uh, I, I have tremendous uh, respect for his talent on both ends of the racetrack. I think everyone does. The way that he is going about this, I think that there is, this is just a, a complete like behind the curtain, inside baseball, just strategic look. Like this is some of the stuff we talk about and this is bracket racing elite, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in. What Jeff is doing so, so out of the norm. I feel like there is opportunity in going against the grain. We saw this if we go back 30 years ago, right? When all any of us knew, like, I think I've mentioned this here before, but my father and I watched like Bob Fry on NHRA Today give a two minute detail on like, this is how bracket racing works. And he was running like a rental car, right? And he said, I made these four time trials. So for first round, I just took my average ET and that was the perfect dial in. And my dad looked at he, my dad and I looked at each other and we're like, idiot, he's going to break out. Like we all know that you take your fastest run and yeah. you dial down too, because yes. if you break out, you lose, right? <laughs> and it was in this day and age that, I, I mean, I hearken it back to, to, two individuals, two brothers, right? Like, cause they were the first people that I saw dial something that they could run faster than. And it was Scotty and Edmund Richardson were like, just revolutionary ahead of their time. Like, Hey, I'm going to dial slower than I can run. And if I just beat everybody to the finish line, like they ain't trying to break out and they dominate. Right. And over time, people see that others adopt that. And that becomes the way to go about it. Like I, I kind of go back to, what I feel like was kind of our heyday, Big Jed in the B&M series days. And nobody was dialed what they could run. Like we were all trying to hold, whether we knew how to or not, right? Yes. And somewhere in there, there became opportunity. Technology got better. Race cars got better. We got better on the starting line. And eventually, like people began to realize like, hey, wait, my car is way better than I am. And I feel like for um several years there in big dollar bracket racing like i took advantage of this and 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 probably took advantage to some extent of my reputation as someone that would hold and was like hey my car's really good like i'm gonna dial honest and for three or four years won a lot without really doing anything tricky like was just making really good runs when everybody else was trying to outdrive me and i wasn't really game for that like i was look i could go 452 7 and i'm dialed 453 and i'm gonna make it go like really low dead on good luck right yeah. and everything 
probably for the last five to seven years have shifted that direction and rightfully so like equipment is better than it's ever been and every rule in our game has been suited to make making good runs easier right whether it was um crosstalk or auto start or better technology better racetracks like it's it's easier to lay down sub 10 repeatedly than it's ever been not to say that it's easy to do but it's easier than it was 10 years ago for sure and that has been by and large the trend and here is jeff sarah completely bucking the trend and here's where i think the genius of this is and again this isn't something that anyone could do this is a a very unique skill set that someone like jeff sarah holds but here's the advantage that he has like and let's say it's 800s i don't know that it's 800s every round like that seems kind of ridiculous but here's the brilliance in it a he's really good on both ends b he's doing it every round so he knows what it's supposed to look like right by and large like and is able to very consistently not only make the right decision but be pretty disciplined in actually getting back to that on when it's warranted to get back to that on like he's he knows where the spots are but what's brilliant about it that it took me a little while to come up with not only is he able obviously not every time but is he able to get under a 5000th package in the other lane because he's one take one right where the real brilliance of this comes in is let's take that run with Josh Baker, for example. Now, I don't know exactly where Josh was set up. I don't know exactly what Josh thought he could run, but following that red light, Josh Baker was like 17,000. Perhaps that's exactly what he was holding. But let's say in that instance that Josh thought he could go 12,000 under. The way that Jeff Sarah races, you have really no choice but to try to be super disciplined and get back to dead on because whether Jeff is double O on the tree or whether Jeff is 30 on the tree, he's a mile ahead of Josh Baker as that race plays out, assuming that Josh is low double O, right? It's one thing in this day and age, like, hey, I know that Jeff's vowed to go dead on, or I know that Jeff is holding 200s, whatever the case may be. If I know that as the race develops, I'm going to realize that I'm 200s ahead on the starting line. Like this race looks like I'm going, this is, I'm going to have room here. But Jeff's holding so much and he's so far ahead that I have no idea whether he's double O or whether he's 20. I have really no choice but to commit to, okay, like this is what I think I can go. I got to be disciplined and get back to dead on. Whereas in the other lane, I would venture to say that nine times out of 10, Jeff knows he was just 20 and he knows that he can't win in front and he's going to stop. Well, again, if I'm going just a little bit quicker than I think, I don't like my chances of winning there. And you think, well, you're still going to take 20, right? Like that's a mistake. But here's the thing. Like when we started all of that, Jeff, Sarah, if we both hold it to the floor, was going to get there first by five hundredths of a second. The last thing that I am expecting is for him to let me cross the finish line first. Like, that's just weird. That's just, uh, you don't ever see that in the other lane. And so when you combine this unique strategy 
with his skill set and the ability to completely disguise what has happened on the starting line, like that's the brilliance in what he's doing. Now, I don't, again, I don't think everybody could do it, but there is, this isn't just a, hey, look what I can do. Like there is a method to the madness here. Luke, I hope people listened to what you just said there. That was a, a, a two or three, four minute, whatever that was, discussion that you basically had with yourself. And it was perfect. It described exactly what others are seeing in the other lane, what their probably their strategy is when they go to the starting line. You talked about Baker being 17th thou under. I would imagine that was probably about right. I imagine he, you know, he knew he could go somewhere between 12 and 17 under. The problem is, and you described it, that five thousandths window is just just about more than you can stand when you're running Jeff Sarah. You've got to match him on the tree. If he's holding 75 thou, then, you know, your, your first thought is, well, shoot, I'm just going to go down here and stop. And then, you know, he's going to go under. Well, you can't take that strategy to the line. The strategy has to be, I'm going to go down here and go dead on. Now, if it takes stopping to do it, that's great. But you can't show him that he can't get there five or six hundreds in front of you because he realizes that early. So he de- he's already decided to half track what he's going to do. And you changing your strategy up is just going to get you in trouble. I think the most that you hold on a guy like that is, is 10 to 15 thou. You want to be able to you know, if he's going eight under, he don't know if he's going seven or eight under. I don't think he's probably that dang good, and I just don't know it. But if it's looking pretty close to right, and he's he's going seven and a half under instead of whatever, you know, you might be able to change the race by 10 thou because he can take double O on you. You might be able to change the race by 10 thou very late and get by with it. But you have to have the discipline to only kill what will put you to dead on. And yeah, I think I mean, most no. of these guys holding, they, they get people out of their game and they, they stop and go three and four above. And you just, you just left them a freight train of room. Well, yeah, no, I mean, you've got the, the, the mental challenge of racing someone that seemingly can't lose, right? The, the, what we've been talking about. And then you combine that with the challenge of like, if you're paying attention, there is a part of pride that says that dude is not going to beat me out that, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and mess that up. And obviously that plays right in the hands. Like in reality, I think for most of us, the game plan and, and, and I think probably the, the, the proper game plan to some extent, the only game plan to combat what Jeff Sir is doing is whatever manner in which you're doing it, it has to be super disciplined in that the game plan is to, to make the number on the top scoreboard match the number on the bottom scoreboard. Like I, I've got to lay down a good run here that he, and, and he's just, that's, you're going to challenge him to get under the problem therein lies when, for whatever reason, you've got much margin at all in either direction, 
particularly given the skill set combined with the strategy combined with the heater that he's on if you miss it much at all in either direction jeff's likely to capitalize on it like it i as i just got to thinking about the manner in which he's going about this and donovan williams actually articulated it really well in his uh interview following the runner-up it was donovan that was runner-up to to jeff sarah and donovan said something to the effect of like he was late and uh but he went dead on and he's like well I, you know I, i'm not proud of myself for missing the tree I, i'm paraphrasing paraphrasing donovan he's like but i am proud of myself for the, the discipline to get dead on because when you race jeff like i mean he's he's gonna be a mile ahead so you just have to trust that this is what i'm holding and get to dead on and it, maybe that is what catalyzed this in my mind but i'm like wow he's right like it doesn't matter what the trees are like just gonna be a mile in front and you got to try to make sense of it you know Yep, absolutely right. And Donovan's correct. Uh, he should be proud of having the discipline to go dead on. And, and you know, obviously missing the tree is, is is not what you want against Sarah or anybody for that matter. But you even when you know you miss it, you have to make sure that your your mind is sound and you light up the scoreboard dead on to leave him as little room as possible. And I think just most people don't do it. And we're all victim of what our eyes see turning our mind in a different direction. So these guys probably go to the starting line at times and think, you know, this is what I'm going to do. Well, hell, you know, he's a, uh, he's three tenths dialed three tenths faster than me. And he's already caught me at half track. Uh, now I've got a spray. I must've missed it. I don't know. You start thinking a bunch of stuff. So now I'm going to touch the spray and hit Mr. Frosty a couple of times and see if I can change it up. And before you know it, they've just totally blown their strategy out the window. And he's just over there doing his same thing that he always does. And don't think he don't notice when you touch the button. Yeah, he's that good. He sees it. So he knows you sprayed or whatever. So I think you have to get a strategy that you're going to use. And you have to be confident in it and you have to be disciplined to get to dead on and trust that you're going to hit the tree and, you know, just let it work for you. Uh, and, and that ain't going to win a lot of times <laughs> against Jeff, but it's going to give you the best opportunity to beat a guy that, you know, can go seven or eight under the dial. Right, enough about Jeff Sarah, enough about Kyle Coltrera. The, the, the one other performance of the weekend that I just wanted to shed a, a little bit more light on, because we've spent a lot of airtime on this podcast talking about those two. We've spent a fair amount talking about Eric Griffith and Matt Dattis as well. Chris Whitfield and the season that he has put together, I think really shedding some light on a, on, on a, in a broad sense on the talent from – it's not fair to say that Denver is the West Coast, but west of the Mississippi, west of Texas, right? Um, and specifically the talents of one Chris Whitfield. Whitfield's a guy that has been on my radar for quite a while. Um, racers in the, the Denver area specifically are very familiar with Chris Whitfield. I, if I'm not mistaken, he is a 17-time track champion at Bandemir. Chris is in his 30s. Wow. That's not old enough to win 17 track championships. Like that's a ridiculous number. Um, uh, he's a former division five champion, uh, multi-time big dollar bracket winner. But again, just kind of for those of us on the Eastern side of the country, 
his success has been in a in an isolated realm, right? That that not a lot of people pay attention to. Obviously, he made a, a significant blip on the national radar. Uh, six months ago with his runner up to Bo Butner at the Spring Fling Million to come east. And he's had success coming east before, but particularly in this weekend, uh, I think it's fair to say that the Fall Fling is among the handful of racers that showcase the best talent that we have available. And for Chris to go to not one, but two final rounds, in that weekend on the heels of what he did in Vegas, I think kind of cements his legacy, so to speak, makes everyone nationwide take notice. And I think that's something that he's very deserving of. And I just felt like his performance on the weekend was as impressive and kind of um, groundbreaking as anything that we saw. You know, Luke, very well said. And what we, what we've, tended to talk about a lot over the years, especially in the internet age is that guy's one of the best West coast racers that you're going to see. Well, that's no more Chris Whitfield. It doesn't matter what coast he's on. If he lived out here, this guy would be as household a name as anybody that we've rattled off about and talked about at length for this entire uh, program that we've had for years. Chris Whitfield's as talented as anyone out there. He's got very good equipment. The guy's got ice water in his veins. He has continued to win on a very high level with not nearly as many opportunities as all these other guys that we talk about. But every time there's a big stage, Chris Whitfield shows up. doesn't matter what coast it's on. And he's made himself a household name the hard way by coming from the the – it is West Coast to me, Luke, but coming from the west of Mississippi back east to race these races and compete like he does and, and continue to show up in the middle of these races where, you know, it's either a win, a runner up, whatever. But uh, Chris is Chris is a guy that's his talent knows no geographic region. It is it is as good as anyone regardless of where they live and really like the guy I know you've been high on him for a long time you you picked Chris and some you know big races when we were picking winners prior to the events happening and uh, I know you have a, a lot of belief in his talent and I think pretty much anybody does that knows Chris but good to see him show up and do so well and and put himself on the same level that some of these guys that get many many more opportunities are reaching you bring up a really good point with his like batting average, so to speak. I mean, not to diminish at all what Jeff Sarah has accomplished in the last calendar year, but one argument for Jeff is like he's racing for twenty plus thousand dollars literally every weekend. I think it's safe to say that Chris Whitfield has not been on this type of stage since we saw him on this stage in Vegas. You know what I mean? For the limited opportunities, um, A, I think most of us would agree that that makes it more difficult to perform on that stage, simply just not having the repetition. Uh, and then when you combine that with like the batting average, I mean, he's basically in a final like every other day at these events. Like it's pretty impressive. Very impressive and uh, happy for Chris. That's a, that's a good family. And this guy's uh, put a lot in his racing program. You touched on it briefly early earlier jed and before we transition away from 
fall fling talk and fall fling recap. Uh, I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on this, but I do think it's it's pertinent to at least mention that as part of the fall fling, uh, spring fling promoter Peter Biondo unveiled a uh, a bit of a new structure for 2021. In that, um, at all fling events. Um, they have never had a double entry policy. In fact, it was only at the Vegas race uh, due to the travel that, that the majority of racers in, incur to get to Vegas uh, from the West or from the East, right? Um, it was only at Vegas that they allowed the same car to go down the track twice per round, assuming, of course, that two different drivers were driving it. Uh, that made the fling events the outlier in recent years, just about everywhere else you can go, you can double. In most cases, um, same car, same driver, right? Double entries. Peter Biondo rolled out uh, last weekend that in 2021, they will be allowing same car, same driver doubles at at least the first two fling events in uh, Vegas and in Galat. And within that, uh, they rolled out a slightly different structure that essentially, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll streamline this a little bit for the sake of discussion, but essentially assures that all double entries will race against other double entries exclusively in the first two rounds of competition. So if you are a single entry, you will race other single entered cars uh, until at least round three. Uh, Big Jed, just from a, a blanket statement, your thoughts. I like it a lot, Luke. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a footbrake race promoter. Where, you know, I don't. I, we haven't seen a successful footbrake race yet that didn't allow same car, same driver. We might get there one day, but that's been our policy since day one, and we allow that, and we'll continue to allow that. Um, the fling had where you had to have two cars to be double entered, so that. You know, obviously on paper says, well, the, the, the higher funded racers and, and better funded racers and, and you know, the, the names that we've talked about over and over and over have an advantage because they get two shots. I've only got one car and I can only get one car to the track. So I've got, I'm at a disadvantage as a result of that. And Peter hears that loud and clear. And, you know, those guys, he talked about it in his, uh, in his announcement that he and Kyle talked about this prior to, to Kyle passing. And, and this was something that they wanted to get done back then, but they've just, you know, let it cook for a little while and finally decided to make the call. But uh, I like it a lot. Uh, again, these guys, you know, the, the fling brand is innovative. It's bold. You know, you had the whole true start discussion and, and now that's just what they do and it's it's accepted and uh, this is going to go that same route, I believe, you know, for, for people that are wondering exactly how to work. I won't spend a lot of time on that, but those guys issue you a number when you come in because there's all these crazy numbers that, you know, everybody's got and those numbers get hard to find and read and all that. Well, now they, they just print off numbers enough numbers to cover everybody that's coming to the race and they give you a number a sticker that you put on your car so they've got a b c and d groups and as you said the the doubles will fall in one of those in door cars and doubles will fall in one of those in dragsters and the singles in each category will fall in one of those groups for for a total of four groups so uh, i think it 
does level the playing field somewhat. And it does certainly what it's going to do is make the single entered racers feel like they have a better opportunity to compete against some of the two car teams, regardless of whether it's same car, same driver or two cars. So I think it's going to accomplish everything that they want it to accomplish and could set the tone for how some of these things get done going forward in other events. So again, very thoughtful, very bold and very innovative. And, and I feel like it's a really good idea. Call me old school. Call me the, the crotchety old man, get off my lawn. Right. I'm not, I, I have not ever been a particularly big fan of same car, same driver doubles in that my argument is that it dilutes the product. It, it doubles the length of the race and um, it drives the cost up ultimately for everyone because to be competitive, you really have to enter double enter, or you could at least make that argument. Um, what Peter's done though, as much as I want to dislike it for the reasons that I just said, um, I think he's checked all the boxes. The The reason that I push back a little bit on double entries is, uh, I, I think I've used this example before, but let's say that um, because I've been in, in this situation, I go to a race, I decide like, hey, um, for what, whatever the reasons being, time, money, I, I just want to buy one entry. And same car, same driver doubles are allowed. And it's one of these mega bracket races where there's four, five, 600 cars. So in round one, uh, let's say that, uh, let's say just for the sake of argument, Ted, you and I run in round one, you're double entered, I'm single entered. And let's say that I win. And I'm like, all right, cool. So now I, I get to come back for round two. Meanwhile, you come back for your second entry of first round. Let's say that you lose. And then you come back for the re-entry round with two entries in the re-entry round. And let's say that you win them both. And then you come back for round two on your first entry and you win. And you come back for round two on your second entry and we're paired up for the second time in the day. Uh, maybe eight hours after the first time that we've run. I've been and racing all day. <laughs> in that time, you have made four runs and I have not been down the racetrack. Like you can't, you cannot convince me that I'm not at a slight disadvantage there maybe a significant disadvantage there. And so for that reason, again, my argument was like, I don't think I can win this race without buying two entries. So all that really does is drive up the cost of competition for me, right? Um, the way that Peter structured this, it eliminates that advantage or perhaps that perception of an advantage, right? In that instance, I don't ever have to race you until what, at least round three, when at that point, like I should have enough data and the rounds are close enough together that I feel like any advantage that is there is very much minimized. So in a way, I think Peter and the Fling staff, like I think they check a lot of boxes here because I know that there are a lot of racers clamoring, say like, look, if I'm gonna travel uh, however many miles to this event, like I would love to have two shots and I'm, and I would, I will gladly pay the second entry fee and the buybacks, whatever's necessary to have those two shots. Um, at the same time, there are racers that either cannot afford or do not desire to double enter. And those racers aren't necessarily at any disadvantage. Like 
at least from afar, and obviously there's been a ton of thought put into this, like, I think that this makes everyone happy, or at the very least, doesn't make anyone feel like they are at a disadvantage. Like, I, I, I don't, I want to poke holes in this, and I can't really find any reason to poke holes in it. I think it works for everyone. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think um, someone asked uh, Peter about buy runs and there'll be a buy run per category. So that will get interesting. I, I'd like to see how that works out, uh, how it uh, impacts the, the race and uh, the later rounds. But regardless, uh, I think this does, as you say, check all the boxes and it's uh, it's definitely a new format that is going to have a lot of attention on it and people be very interested. So looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah. I haven't paid a ton of attention to the details of how they'll merge these together later in rounds and how many buys will be per round. But I will say this, like I really, like I think most of us uh, at least initially and, and probably me longer than most, like I kind of pushed back on, let's say the SFG format of the no boxes run completely separate, door cars are run completely separate, dragsters are run completely separate. And if necessary, there are three by runs around. And I'm like, my God, like, is that really necessary? Um, in reality, now again, like five years into that, perhaps more, um, I actually would could make the argument that that is actually the fairest way to do it. Like how fair is it for the last no box car, just because he's the last car in line, gets paired with a box car? Like, if you're gonna honor no box, like it should probably be its own separate class, right? Um, and the management of that late in a race can get sticky because you could add a round to a race. Like in my mind, that gets combined a little bit earlier than the SFG model in a perfect world. I, my understanding is like at the flings, they're still gonna go on a ladder at 16. So I guess it's possible that you add a round to the race earlier, but it would have to fall just right down there where it would be pretty easy for multiple buy runs to, to physically add around for everyone. I think that's going to be avoided. Like, again, I just, I trust the, as much as I kind of bristle at the general idea, when I look at the way this is laid out, I can see the thought process going into it. And I feel like the goal is to create a level field for everyone. Like as much as I want to bristle at this, I'm like, uh, this is probably a pretty good idea. Yep, I agree, and uh, I'm I'm very interested to see how it works out, and we'll see it debut at uh, at Vegas in the spring. All right, let's switch gears uh, slightly. Uh, it's a big weekend or a big week, really, because there's been a lot of. Uh, I think we last recorded on last Tuesday. I think possibly with the exception of this Tuesday, there has been NHRA competition every day. Since then, there's been a lot of NHRA stuff going on across the country, a lot of weather delays, a lot of odd scheduling, uh, making up races earlier in the year. Uh, there's been a lot of shakeups. There's been a lot of winners. There's been a lot of domination. None more so than them Emmons, Big Jed. Emmons family domination down in D4 since the last time that we talked. There has been a Division Four event in Noble, Oklahoma, Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series event, and the um, conclusion, resumption uh, of the national event originally scheduled for Houston in the spring that uh, for Superstock, Stock, 
in the 90 categories was actually moved to Dallas uh, just Wednesday leading up to the Dallas national event. So divisional and noble um, national event in Houston slash Dallas. In those two events, which uh, com competition was separated by just three days, we had four Wallies, four Wallies, four Wallies go home with the Emmons family. The Emmons family pulled the rare family double at Noble. Terry Emmons wins super stock. Jerry Emmons wins stock. Just three days later in Dallas or Houston or Dallas, or however you want to say that, Harvey Emmons III, that's Speedy, wins super stock. Jerry Emmons, for the second time in three days, hoists the stock eliminator Wally. It is all Emmons all the time. An Emmons sweep on the divisional level, followed by an Emmons sweep on the national level. Uh, pretty impressive stuff. Very impressive, Luke. And you know that they're obviously a unique situation with them changing the venue and all of that being in their general area of the country. I imagine a lot of that led to some of that success, but it's just a very talented family with very good equipment and. You know, to see these guys winning in that region of the country is certainly not uncommon whatsoever. So, you know, you'd think a, a family, you know, a group of guys with the same last name collect four Wallies in just a matter of few days would be like, and it's very newsworthy. You'd think it'd be like somewhat of a shock, but somehow this feels like, oh, yeah, that's just what the Emmons do. So, I don't mean, certainly don't mean to diminish what they've accomplished, but um, it's almost expected out of that group. They've won so much in, in that type of racing. So great job by them as always. But, um, you know, I think this could, as you have in the show notes, could lead to, to something much, much bigger here very soon. Well, kind of to your point, like if I'm going to play devil's advocate and again, not to detract from the Emmons accomplishments, like, I mean, they, they've swept the week, right? You do, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, both of these races were uh, particularly in, in stock and super stock, uh, low entry races. The, the noble race, I think, was uh, amid mired in, in rain up against uh, the double divisional in St. Louis, which is really only a few hours away. Um, and then the the. Houston National was the entry was closed from the spring. Both races were, were five round races, I believe, in both categories. So that's 32 cars or less. And the Emmons brothers, the Emmons family, like account for close to 10% of the field, maybe a little bit more. Like what stood out to me was Greg Stanfield, who we'll talk a little bit about later. Greg Stanfield lost in the semifinal round at Noble at the divisional in Superstock. And if you look at Greg Stanfield's box score, uh, he did have a buy run, uh, one round in there, but he went four rounds of competition and did not stage beside anyone not named Emmons. <laughs> Beat wow. two brothers, lost to Terry. Terry goes on to win, right? Um, so, so their odds are are better than most, but nonetheless, I mean, they're uh, what four brothers. If assuming that they're all racing in a field of 30 plus cars on four different occasions and they emerge victorious on all of them. So that is certainly noteworthy and, and, and worthy of our appreciation. And of that, uh, I mentioned it was Jerry Emmons really carrying the flag, one stock eliminator at both of the events that we just talked about. And all of the sudden, out of 
nowhere for lack of a better term jerry emmons probably he he's not the your national title favorite in stock eliminator by any means that's still joe, joe santangelo but jerry emmons provides the biggest threat to joe santangelo for the stock eliminator world championship and we would not have said that a week ago like emmons had a decent score coming in but it's pretty incredible how two wins in three days can change the complexion of things just a little bit i also thought it was notable if not um a little bit humorous that uh, at least on paper history will show that jerry emmons swept houston this year which is their home track that seems that seems right he did win the divisional in Houston way back in the spring, and now he wins the quote unquote Houston National, even though not one round of competition was actually contested at Houston. Jerry Evans, nonetheless, gets the Houston sweep. <laughs> well, whatever it takes, call it what you will, but uh, he's he would have done that there too. So it's uh, got to feel good to win at home, even though he is five yeah. hours from home. No doubt. <laughs> The uh, NHRA, I feel like we spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks really nerding out, dissecting the points. So I'm going to try to steer away from that as much as possible this week. But I will say this, the points picture will be much clearer the next time that we meet, Jed, following this weekend, where uh, as we record, the Houston National event is in the review. But by the end of the weekend, we will not only have completed the Dallas National event, also a double divisional out in Las Vegas, as well as the division one finale in Cecil County, assuming that all of those races are completed over the weekend. Uh, once the weekend is done, we will be left with just three national events and just three divisional events remaining on the calendar. Uh, things will be a lot clearer. Now, as I mentioned before, the past calendar week has been super busy and there have been a handful of drivers that have made big moves, none more so, then David Billingsley, Billingsley, competition eliminator racer, doubled at St. Louis. In a double divisional, he won both days. And that catapulted him into the national points lead in a competition eliminator field that, as we've talked about before, has more parity at the top, more uh, competitors vying for the national championship, particularly in that category, than any time in recent history. And Billingsley was in the top 10, but... I don't think he was a name that we've ever mentioned over the course of the last month as a as a title threat. And now he's in the lead by like four rounds as a result of this double victory. If I was a betting man, I'm not sure that it'll hold up. I'm rooting for David Billingsley. He's one of my one of my favorite racers out there. Um, and he's obviously performed incredibly, especially on the divisional tour. I think his divisional tally at this point includes four wins and one runner up doesn't get much better than that when you only get to claim five races. Um, with that said, I, I, I'm not positive that it'll hold up. Um, in fact, I would, I would probably bet against it, but pretty impressive performance with all of the cards on the table to go and not lose a round last weekend. Yeah, very impressive, Luke. And as you talk about, uh, you know, that was just not a name that we have been mentioning at all. And I certainly rely on you to to nerd out there and, and guide me down the path when we're talking about these points runoffs or championships and Billingsley, just a name that, that wasn't even relevant. And now out of nowhere, a couple of wins, got the points lead and uh, I would assume some, some races to claim. So this uh, just getting a little more interesting week by week. So that'll be fun to watch as well. 
no doubt comp has been fascinating and will continue to be just that uh, mentioned greg stanfield earlier we've said now for shoot several months that this title will go through greg stanfield the super stock title four time world champion super stock world champion greg stanfield by the way uh stanfield has been heard from i don't think he had staged in super stock for like four months he's back semi at noble as we mentioned earlier followed that up with a runner-up at the houston national them emmons keep getting in his way if it weren't for them he might already clinch this championship but nonetheless those back-to-back performances uh, have him very much in contention. I wouldn't even say in the driver's seat. Like This is still a three-way race between Ricky Decker, Joe Santangelo, and Greg Stanfield. Um, given these two performances and the number of races that he has left, I think it's fair to say that Stanfield may be the favorite at this point, but it's far from over. He has still four national events to compete in, lots of work left to do, plus the aforementioned Ricky Decker and Joe Santangelo each have opportunities to add their add to their score. Superstock and Super Comp, probably the most fascinating of the two categories as we ease into these final weeks of the season. Speaking of Super Comp, all right, so I rattled off this laundry list a week or two ago of just huge names, like a who's who of sportsman drag racing but particularly 90 class racing, the top 10 in Supercomp for the last month has just been littered with huge names. And we've said, like, no one is really separating themselves. Well, from outside of that list, one man really started to separate himself over the course of the last three weeks. And with all due respect to Bob Prose, when you go through the list of the top 10, like, Bob Prose is not the name that I expected to be talking about. We were talking Ray Ray Miller, John LaBouche, Gary Stinnett, Christopher Dodd, Austin Williams. I mean, just hitter after hitter after hitter. Not that Bob Prose is not one of those. Sherman Adcock, yes. Right. Uh, With all due respect to Bob Prose, like if there's a name that doesn't necessarily fit in that that list historically, it's his. Well, (laughs) he'll be damned to hear that, right? Like that dude (laughs) is showing out. He has been red hot. He won the Charlotte national event a few weeks ago, left there, came to St. Louis where he lost in the semifinals of the national event. That race didn't even count towards his score. He was claimed out of national events, comes back uh, just days later, the first leg of the double divisional wins super competent and nearly doubled. He was in the quarterfinals of the second event. And by the time that we left St. Louis, Bob Prose had taken the national points lead amid that amazing list of racers and looked like he was in pretty good shape now (laughs) since then in the three days since or the two days since because st louis finished on monday christopher dodd reigning national champion christopher dodd has flipped script he's had a week big jed similar to what we just talked about with the emmons similar to what we just talked about with greg stanfield christopher dodd semi-finalist in super comp at noble comes back two days later to win the national event at quote unquote houston again was contested at Dallas. And oh, by the way, like if that wasn't enough, he was also the runner up in Superstock at Noble. Just by the way, like he's hardly lost a round these last few weeks. That semifinal and and victory in Supercom have catapulted Christopher Dodd back into the points lead. Now ahead of Bob Prose and Christopher actually has more races left to claim. Now again, you can't be comfortable atop the list of names that we just mentioned, but Christopher very much in the driver's seat, given the races that he has left to claim at this point, 
he definitely looks to be the favorite in Supercomp. And if that holds true, if we don't put the podcast jinx on Christopher Dodd and he goes for back-to-back Supercomp national championships at the age of, what's Christopher, like 24? Really impressive stuff and puts him in, would put him potentially in very rare air. To that point, Jed, trivia time. Oh, I love these. If Christopher Dodd is able to hold on and win back-to-back Supercomp National Championships, he would join a very exclusive list of racers to do that in that category. How many times has it been done and by whom? Oh, Luke, you know I'm terrible at these. I'd say it's been done three times. Wow, terrible. You uh, you hit that right on the head. It has been done well, that, exactly three times. That was a lucky guess. Uh, <laughs> I would say that um, it's been done by Richardson. Okay, yes. Am I correct? You are correct. Can you tell me the first name of said Richardson? Back to back, I would say... You're trying to trick me, so I'm going to say, because everybody would say Scotty, I'm going to say it was Edmund. Okay, that was the wrong pick, but it was a Richardson. <sighs> In fact, get this. I, I was just going through the sheet here. Scotty Richardson was the first driver to go back-to-back in Supercomp the year, 1993 and 1994. The reason that your guess is not a bad guess, Edmund Richardson has accumulated three NHRA Supercomp World Championships. And get this, like this, this might be more impressive than the than the actual question, right? And they're the answer to the actual question that I asked you. From 1991 to 1990 through 1994, family Richardson accumulated four consecutive NHRA Supercom mm. National Championships. Scotty won at 91, Edmund in 92, Scotty in 93, Scotty in 94. If we go back two more years to 1989, Family Richardson accumulated five world championships in six years. Kurt Dameron in 1990, the only non-Richardson to mess up that stretch. Wow. I knew those guys were dominant, but when you see that on paper, like, what in the world, right? Yeah, that's impressive. Okay, so Scotty Richardson, I'm going to go ahead and give you credit because you can't get any closer than you got. Scotty Richardson did it (laughs) 1993, 1994. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1993, 1994. He was the first. There have been two since leading up to potentially Christopher Dodd doing it this year. They're two gettable names. Man, I don't know. I'm Steve Williams. Steve Williams has one championship that was in... 2018 either you you have a great memory or you got some serious stats in front of you but uh, i have a spreadsheet in front of me thank you austin williams i (laughs) i have no idea luke all right so it has been done three times you nailed that christopher dot vying to become the fourth scotty richardson the first to go back to back in super comp the second friend of the podcast Sean Langdon, back-to-back, 2007-2008. And then the most recent back-to-back Supercomp champion is the most illustrious 
winner in the history of Supercomp. It was one Gary Stinnett, four-time world champion Gary Stinnett. His last two championships came back-to-back -back in 2010 and 2011. I swear I was going to guess Stinnett, but I never would have got Langdon. I just... I yeah, don't we don't. I, I mean, boy. we are uh, we're only a decade removed from that time of, or just slightly over a decade removed from that time of dominance. But I think it's hard not to think of Sean as top fuel Sean Langdon at this point, right? Yeah. So I, I think, think so. that's fair to miss the Stinnett one. You probably should have got. Like, if there is a if there's yeah. a trivia question about Supercomp, uh, Gary Stinnett's probably a good guess. <laughs> yeah, regardless of what the question is, yes. All right, that brings, while we're on the super comp topic, I've got a bad beat, my bad beat of the week. Do you have a bad beat this week? I do not. Yes, you do. I, yes, you do. Look down the show notes. You got one. I'll give you, I'll give you the second one. I'm going to take okay. the super comp one. This is along the lines of last week's bad beat, where I mentioned the aforementioned Gary Stinnett, right? For all of the same reasons. We talked about, I think on last week's show, how Nick Eisenhower, following his win at the St. Louis National Event, had a realistic shot to kind of come out of nowhere, come off the grid. If you're looking for a name outside of the power structure, outside of that top 10, um, to, to jump up and make a run, I obviously didn't pinpoint Bob Pro. Sorry, Bob. I pinpointed Nick Eisenhower. Nick Eisenhower came into the double at St. Louis with, as a viable national championship contender. And truth be known, he still is, right? But Again, keep in mind that is on the table. He knows he's racing for this just as well as anyone else does. In round two of race two with, you know, not necessarily in that particular round, but ultimately the world championship on the line. Nick Eisenhower needs to make a good lap, needs to accumulate points on the divisional side. Round two, Nick Eisenhower, three take three. Pretty good job. Pretty Real bad beat. Pretty bad beat. In the opposite lane, Pat Lamont, four total. I see wow. your three, take three. Give me all your finest meats and cheeses. <laughs> and go uh, that is to a pour, bad beat. To pour salt in the wound of the bad beat, Big Jed. Um, this was in round two, which was contested, which was contested the Sunday early afternoon just before the rain set in and pushed competition, the remainder of competition back to Monday. At which point, Pat Lamont and his son Chad had to go home and go to work. They did not make the call for round three. Oh, no. Nick Eisenhower was on the premises Monday watching his brother Devin win Supercom. Would have been there. Oh, Luke, yeah. that is a bad beat. <laughs> That's a bad beat. And I saw this other one in the show notes, but you talked about it a little earlier uh, in in the fall fling discussion. So I wasn't sure we were gonna gonna hit on that, but obviously uh, the the second bad beat, uh, the number two bad beat of the week was Steve Law <laughs> laying down five total against Jeff Sarah. Five total, and in one of the biggest stages of the year at the fall fling uh, with. A lot on the line anytime you're staging at a flame and it didn't win <laughs> look he laid down just, five total we just said hey what's the key to beating jeff sarah it's to be disciplined it's to make the number on the top of the scoreboard match the number on the bottom of the scoreboard um steve did that 
He most certainly did that if he was five. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's brutal. All right, so that's this week's bad beat brought to you by somebody. We've got to work on this. Um, <laughs> yeah, we need a bad fish- beat sponsor. We do. We should absolutely have a bad beat sponsor. I mean, we've done it all in three weeks now. It's a thing. <laughs> I think it's official at this point, Big Jed. We are in early October. Uh, we are on the heels of the SFG Super Bowl. We're on the heels of the fall fling. It's officially Big Bucks bracket season. Although, perhaps in 2021, like, it's been big bucks bracket season since like March. Yeah, never um, away. Yes. But with that said, we are two weeks away from the OG million, which means that we are four weeks away from the great American guaranteed million, right? So back to back, huge events uh, in a really short period of time. And let's be honest, Jed, like they are two huge events, but they're not, they're not necessarily, they're, they're two of the biggest events on this, on the big dollar bracket racing tour, but I don't know that they're necessarily comparable, right? The OG million has the prestige, right? And, and it, it will always have that. It's been going on for 25 years. And I just, uh, I don't know that I could sit here and list off all 25 winners. There was a time not long ago that I could, because it was the race that stood out, but I think it's still, and will always have that punch, that panache, that allure, right? Um, and yes. it's going to be awesome. Like it's a new location. It's huge purses throughout the weekend. I think we've become a little bit numb to the huge purses, but uh, in reality, like that's a race that the main event realistically is going to pay somewhere between 200,000 and $400,000 to win surrounded by a bunch of 50 granders. Like that's a, that's still, even in today's climate of every other weekend, big dollar bracket races, like that's one of the biggest races on the schedule in contrast. Um, while that's a huge weekend, it's going to pay a lot. The the Great American Guaranteed Million is just that. It's going to pay a guaranteed million dollars, right? It's the only event this season that will do that. And I actually was uh, on the phone with Britt Cummings this morning because I've heard the rumors, just like you've probably heard the rumors. Like the, the talk is that, hey, this, this race might not happen. Like, I don't think they, it's not full. I'm not really sure what's going on. Uh, after talking with Britt, I can go ahead and squash that. This race is going to happen. <laughs> there is no doubt in my mind after talking with Britt. And uh, it's, it's, it's a guaranteed million. Like it, it had all kinds of weather issues like made last year's race not um, um, excellent by any means, right? Like by, by all states, it was kind of hard to stomach. No fault of their own. With that said, like, I thought they had a really good format, a really good plan. I hope that they get some breaks in terms of weather this season. Like, I'm really looking forward to this event. It's going to be awesome. It is going to happen. And let's just forget the conversation with Britt. Like, I trust Britt and Galen in that if, at this point, I am convinced the only way that this race is not going to happen is if it rains for, like, seven straight days. And in that case, I know that they're going to give me my money back and not hold on to it for six months, right? Waiting to do this again. Um, so the, the point of that is like, if you're on the fence and I understand like there's a lot of people right now, a lot of racers, perhaps rightfully so, that are skeptical uh, or, or um, reluctant to get in on the pre-entry program. I, I don't think you gotta worry about that here. Like I, this race is going to happen. And if for some crazy reason it does not, um, they're not gonna hold your money hostage. Like this is the bottom line. This is gonna be the richest race in 2021. 
I think they have made it very public knowledge that this will be the last guaranteed million, the last great American guaranteed million, at least for quite a while. They're not going to take it off the table, you know, several years from now, but like there's not going to be one of these in 2022. And I think just giving the nature of the big dollar race landscape, it's safe to say that not only will there not be a great American guaranteed million in 22, like I don't think anyone's crazy enough to put on another guaranteed million, right? This is going to be the richest event that uh, on the table for the foreseeable future. And I don't want to say like ever is a long time, but I don't really see a path anytime in the near future to race for a million dollars. And that's exactly what we're going to do in Montgomery about one month from now. Yeah, Luke, uh, as you mentioned, uh, there's been a lot of rumors, a lot of people talking. Um, this this thing just hasn't quite had the punch that it had last year because it was kind of unheard of, the, the guaranteed million, the way they did it. So now we're in the second year of it. And maybe, you know, uh, us spoiled bracket racers just have come to expect that people can just put on million dollar to win races guaranteed yeah, yeah and uh, we're a little bit almost numb to it after last year right yeah yeah that's not easy uh <laughs> this is taking tremendous effort tremendous guts and and certainly um those guys are, are finding every way they can to create entries through these raffles and shootouts and all kind of stuff so i got complete confidence in Britt and galen the one thing that that we know about them above all else is they do the right thing. These guys have been putting on races for a long time and they have a, a history of 100% doing the right thing and everything they can. And this is going to be no different. It's going to be a time of year in Alabama and South central Alabama that typically is perfect weather. Um, so let's hope that happens for them for sure. It's at the Capital City Motorsports Park, formerly known as Montgomery Motorsports Park. Um, ben Willis and his team of uh, investors and ownership members have done unbelievable things with the facility. Uh, they have really made improvement after improvement after improvement. So I'm excited to see that come to my home state. And as you said, there will not be one of these in 2022. So it's, it might not be the last opportunity, but it might be the last one you see for a while. So it's a, you know, a really good way to wrap up the season and attend that event and possibly leave with life-changing money. So uh, don't, if you're on the fence, don't be on the fence. Uh, they, your money's safe for those guys. Certainly enter get your spot and hopefully get to take your shot at a million bucks. You talked about the, the manner in which Britain Galen conduct business. Like, I feel like it got lost overlooked. I know we do discussed it uh, at least briefly on this show. I think it got to some degree overlooked last season due to the weather struggles, but last year's great American guaranteed million was oversold. And as a result, they took every dime of excess entry fee and added it to the purse. Like I remember getting down to 18, 20 cars on the first day of the event and Galen walks through the staging lanes and gathers everybody to say, oh, by the way, you guys got, uh, you know, $8,000 more in the purse than what's on the flyer. Like, 
what? Like I have been to races where they gathered everybody to say, listen, I know the flyer says it's going to pay five grand. We got three grand. Good luck. Y'all, y'all, I have been there. Oh, yeah. I have never, I had never been to a race where they said, oh, by the way, you've got more money than we said. Like that was pretty cool. And something that I think could have not been done and largely been overlooked that did get done. And, and I just don't feel like people talked about enough. Like that's the, that's the type of promoter that you're dealing with there. Like to your point that they're going to do the right thing They're I, I feel like just they're racers putting on races. And I know that there's a lot of racers putting on racers these days and, and by and large do a great job. Uh, money's safe here. Like I, I, I'm really looking forward to this event. They got some fun stuff too. I was actually, I, the conversation with Britt kind of catalyzed like, looking at the flyer perhaps for the first time like i've been entered for so long i'm like ah, i'm going to montgomery right like that's on the calendar uh, did you see this converter changing contest i did not not till i read the show notes okay this is uh presented by torque tools so they're going to have i think it's the first eight that sign up the contest is quite simply like there's, there's there's regimented rules on this i read through them i can't remember but the bottom line is like there's gonna be eight different people teams of people changing torque converters and we're gonna see who can do it the fastest for like fifteen hundred dollars and an fti converter i mean yeah, we've all heard cool. the 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 wives tales of like yeah you know between the quarterfinals and the semifinals we swapped trannies we slung it in and out 22 minutes right made it back um i don't <laughs> i'm assuming that this is going to be eight dragsters like i don't i don't think you'd necessarily have a have have much of a chance in a door car and like the way this is framed i think you have to drive the car to the predetermined location gun goes off jacks up the first one to hit the ground off the jacks with everything complete all converter bolts in wins what's the over under jed like if you've got it i think you get the driver and two crew members or helpers oh, I, yeah where, where do you go with like this is going to be faster than people think yeah i was going to say i've heard those stories too that changed in between the you know the quarters and the semis and my last run to my next run was 23 minutes or whatever so i, I don't know what is typical for something like that but i'm going to say this is going to take in the 20s I don't think it'll get to the teens, but I think somewhere around 25 minutes is going to be what uh, what we'll see when it. Oh, I'll go under, way under. Under 25 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I If I was the Vegas odds maker here, if you got two people to help, so you got a three-person team, you got to go from driving in the pit area to jacks down, ready to go make another run. Um, converter swap in a dragster i'm gonna say like i mean there's this is like a 2500 prize on the line like there could be some practice involved here right oh yeah um i'll set the over under at 15 minutes now though keep in mind those 22 minute deals or 23 minute deals have typically got seven people involved somebody's running grabbing tools somebody's opening transmission fluids and well, you got to keep this in mind, too. That clock starts when they get back to the pit area and realize, hey, man, this thing's broke. You got to get all that stuff out. 
This is going to a predetermined location on the racetrack. You can have your tools, your transfluid, your torque converter all right there on hand. Everything's in place, tidied okay. up. I, I think this is going to be quick. Okay. So you, you can just have everything sitting there ready to go. Mm -hmm. You don't think anybody's gonna gonna leave something a little bit loose on that that ride to that spot, do you? That's very possible. I mean, <laughs> all it, uh, the way I read the rules is you've got to drive it into the spot. It doesn't talk about how much it's got to be clanging around or not clanging around, right? With loose converter <laughs> bolts and two bell housing bolts. I don't know. Like I, I'm assuming, no one, Britt. This is probably going to be very policed. And if there's somebody that I'm not going to break the rules when they're looking over my shoulder, it's probably Britt Cummings. But this will be this will be fascinating, right? Yeah, it should be. <laughs> should be I'm a blast as to watch. About this as I am to not necessarily the million. Like I want to in a month from now write this down. I want to talk about whoever wins the converter changing contest every bit as much as I want to talk about whoever wins the eighty grander. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, we might spend more time on the converter contest. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Very cool idea. A very cool idea. First one, first, first one of that that I've seen and probably long overdue. Like I feel like the, the the burnout contest stuff. Like I'm a huge fan of, but it's getting a little bit overdone. Like this is the next fun thing. Like I'm down for this. Yeah. Um, and like I say, just kind of surfing around, checking out the flyer, looking at the Facebook page, did notice a couple of recent announcements for the Great American Guaranteed Million that I wanted to share. Uh, they've added a Wednesday night dragster race, or it might be Wednesday afternoon dragster race for all I know. Uh, but it's a 128-car field. Uh, both finalists get a dragster, one's from Mullis, one's from American. Um, I did notice that the day that this is released, that's tomorrow, October 8th, is the deadline for entry. I believe that there were less than 30 spots left when I looked at that a few hours ago. So if you are uh, entered in the Great American Million, want to run that bonus race, if you weren't aware of it, you're aware of it now, make sure you get that entry in as soon as possible. Plus, they made the announcement, again, the, the million is not full. I think uh, the max entry is 450. Uh, I'm not sure how close they are to that, but they have opened up the surrounding races. Now, one of the things that I personally, as a racer, love about the Great American Guaranteed Million is that you can't enter the surrounding races without entering the million. So it's not going to be a situation where there's 400 cars in the million and 600 cars in the surrounding races. Like it's the same crowd, right? Which makes the race so much more manageable and keeps from a lot of late nights. Um, but with that said, uh, seeing as the million is not full, they are allowing racers who are single entered in the million to double enter in the surrounding races if they so desire. Yeah, really good idea there to open that up and, and I'm sure will lead to those guys putting a few more cars in the lanes with that rule change or, or rule uh, addendum. So. Um, but Luke, as far as, uh, the race filling up, I, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea where they are in terms of uh, getting full, but I still anticipate, although we're what four weeks from it or wherever we are, I, I still anticipate this thing getting to that max number very late and uh, those guys having a full crowd. And I hope that happens for them because, uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge, huge risk that they're willing to take on. And um, with it, you know, being somewhat uncertain on car count right now, you know, they, they deserve our best effort. So uh, racers 
you know, even if you're on the fence, again, just go and enter that thing, take your shot. And uh, if something happens and the event couldn't be held for any reason, as Luke just stated many times, your money's safe with those guys. Very, uh, very credible promoters there. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, I, and I've actually said that for six months. Like, I do think that this thing will fill up. To your point, I have no idea where they're at now, but obviously they're relatively close because they are very committed to having this race, right? It's on. Um, and I just think that in this day and age, um, the, the scarcity aspect of the pre-entry system at most of these races has worn thin. Like we had realized now that even though there is a cap, there are almost always opportunities to enter the week of if you so desire. So the incentive to get in early, the, the fear of missing out, so to speak, that was so predominant two or three years ago is virtually non-existent. Like I am very comfortable in saying that there are a significant number of racers who have every intention of being at Capital City Motorsports Park next month and have perhaps had every intention to be there for several months that are not yet entered. Yep, I agree. That that, that comfort level with uh, being able to get in is still there for a lot of people. And when you when that starts dwindling, it it creates entries. So, All right, so I wanted to save this for last. I wanted to close the show with a, a little bit of fun slash kind of bizarre like this is complete internet soap opera stuff here right so if you're not down for that like you can tune out now but this is hilarious like this has been so i got turned on to this earlier this weekend i didn't even realize that there are like competition eliminator message boards much less did i realize how juicy said competition eliminator message boards are i went down a rabbit hole this morning jed and i have laughed like this is some entertaining stuff. So let me set it up for you, okay? Competition Eliminator. We, we don't spend a ton of time on this typically on the show, although this year probably more than ever. We addressed David David Billingsley earlier and how his double at St. Louis has placed him in the national points lead. That's a huge story. It's not the only story from Competition Eliminator in the past few weeks. So if we backtrack, if you've been a longtime listener, you know that Roger Brogdon has done something just unprecedented as it relates to division four points across all of the categories and HRA categories this season. Roger Brogdon with his company roof tech and with Owens Corning, they have dumped a quarter million dollars into the NHRA division four points fund, or it's not even affiliated with NHRA, but it is around the, the, the division four championships. And predominantly that money is going into competition eliminator highlighted by a 50 thousand dollar prize to win the division four competition eliminator championship 50 grand right this is a division championship from nhra pays fifteen hundred dollars fifty grand from roger brogdon to win it right <laughs> so we've talked about this uh most of the season and uh, if you remember back in the midsummer since midsummer i think i said that it was cody lane who hails from washington state who looks to be in the driver's seat to win this $50,000 has traveled all the way to division four, which is predominantly uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana uh, for five of the six races as are stipulated in Brogdon's rules to, to make a run at this championship. And he has acquitted himself obviously very well when he has come to division four, he won the divisional event in Dallas. I believe he was runner up in Tulsa. He's gone rounds everywhere, right? 
um, he, he's played by the rules as they were presented. At the same time, the bulk of Cody Lane's uh, points, or at least what has put him over the hump and made him the odds-on favorite to win the Division Four title, were accumulated at a double divisional in Woodburn, Oregon. Last I checked, Woodburn, Oregon, long way from Division Four, right? So no, nobody else really contending <laughs> for the Division Four title showed up in Woodburn, Oregon. Cody Lane won both ends of that double. And again, that's what's bolstered his, his points lead in Division Four. Now, <laughs> this, as you might imagine, has become the source of much debate among the other Division Four racers, right? They, they didn't like the fact that he made Cody Lane made so much hay in the Division Four race in Woodburn, Oregon, right? Okay. Um, and it's gone so far. And again, if you want to check this out, like Google some competition eliminator message boards. It's fun. Like it's a rabbit hole, <laughs> but it's fun. Not only did they not like the idea that Cody Lane made hay so far from home, um, it went so far as to accusations of impropriety at said event in Woodburn. Like he bought those rounds, he got gifted rounds, what, you know, like accusations are a flying, right? So this became the source of debate for many of the contenders within Division Four, and also apparently for the man putting up the money. Not only were Division Four racers upset that Cody Lane was going about this in the way that he was, apparently so was Roger Brogdon. So coming into the divisional event this weekend at Noble, this was actually uh, introduced in like July and I was just oblivious to it. Roger Brogdon issued a bounty on Cody Lane. Basically the way that it's, it's long story short, but Cody had to lose really early at Noble for anyone else to have a chance. So Roger Brogdon said, hey, anybody can beat Cody Lane in round one, $5,000, $5,000. Well, that was in July. Since then, it was raised to $10,000 and then $15,000. Get paired up with Cody Lane in round one, beat Cody Lane in round one, 15 grand, no questions asked. That's more than you can win in any race in competition eliminator for winning one round. Yeah. If there's that guy that can play the ladder game and, and doesn't care about CIC penalties, I mean, he's just laying it out there. Let's go get beat, it, right? To beat Cody, get that 15 grand. So as it plays out, I, I'm not privy to, I assume there were more than one racers, racer that was trying to land in that spot on the ladder. The recipient of that spot on the ladder Kevin Self, who, again, if you go through these message boards, doesn't appear to be in Roger Brogdon's best graces either. <laughs> like I say, you can just go through its days of our lives competition. Limit. This stuff was great, right? So anyway, it's it's Lump that, that falls in this spot and has the opportunity to win $15,000. And by and large, after all of that drama, Cody Lane outruns him. Cody Lane wins round two. Rounds, wins round one, advances to round two. But wait, it gets better <laughs> because <clears throat> in that same first round of competition, Roger Brogdon in his new incredible, I'm sure you've seen pictures of this thing, did Chevy two station wagon? Yes, it's beautiful. Oh, right. Well, and, and, it's, and it appears to be like bad fast too, right? Well, Brogdon goes red in round one his opponent like hit the wall or crossed the center line 
Roger Brogdon gets reinstated. Well, guess who that pairs him with in round two? <laughs> it's a Cody Lane, Roger Brogdon matchup. And it, I, I don't know. Like I'm, I, I, I have spoken to Cody Lane once in my life. I don't think I've ever met Roger Brogdon. Obviously know who he is, but if you read what I read this morning, I don't think Roger Brogdon wants to give Cody Lane 50 grand. They're paired up second round. Like he's got a chance to deter him. Brogdon goes red again. Lane advances. Lane advances to the semifinal round, which doesn't lock up the division championship, but he's in really good shape. It looks like he's going to be your division four champion. And it appears that he is going to get that $50,000. Now, I'll just weigh in here, Jed, for, for, for what it's worth. And you can completely take this for a grain of salt because I am very much on the outside looking in and I'm reading all this stuff and laughing, right? But <laughs> um, I can't speak to or against like the honor of the Lane family. Don't know him, right? And, and I don't really, I don't know Roger Brogdon either. So take that for what it's worth. But I did, like I had to pull up the results from Woodburn, right? The race in question where Cody Lane doubled. And there is nothing in the results that reek of impropriety at all. Like <laughs> Lane won the first race, like outran everybody. Look, everything looks plenty legit to me. In the second race, it's a four round race. He did get three consecutive red lights to get to the final. Um, and the first red light, his opponent was like half a second red. But Cody Lane left first and was 20. Like, if you've got a preconceived agreement, I don't think I'd be 20 in that spot, right? Heck no. The next two rounds, his opponents were 7,000 red. Like, if you're paying me to go red and make it close and I'm 7,000 red, like, dude, more power to that guy? I don't think that's realistic. Like, I, I again, like, I'm not here to pass judgment one way or another, but look at the round sheets and you're like, it looks like any other round of competition eliminator. Like, I don't, I don't think there's any glaring red flag here to say that, Hey, this was not right. Like just from the outside, this looks like any other competition eliminator race, uh, nothing out of the norm to a, a passive, uh, uh, attempting to be objective, uh, bystander. Yeah. It's a loop loop. Let's call it what it is. It's a rich guy pissing match. Fair. I mean, competition eliminator, car owners and team owners are not sales managers at your local cat rental division, cat dealership rental division. Okay. It is the real housewives of competition yeah. eliminator. Yeah, those those aren't the kind of people I, I hang out with. These are rich guys. <laughs> they got tons of money and they aren't used to things not going the way they want them to go. They get told yes a lot, and now they're competing with a guy that's just boldly driven God knows how far to these events, come in their division, and kick their tails, and he's about to win their $50,000 prize that some of them were already counting, and it's pissing them off. So it's just a rich guy pissing match, uh, as you mentioned in the numbers. There's no way Lane set all that up and it work out like that. Hard I mean, to fathom. Yes. That's not possible. <laughs> so he's done it the right way. 
and he's done it the hard way and he's about to get their big old check and it's pissed them off and they're just going to have to get over it because it doesn't look like anybody can do anything about it. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, and I, far be it from me. Like I, I'm not here to belittle Roger Brogdon at all. Like that dude has brought a quarter million dollars into NHRA division four, like awesome. Right. Like good on him. But at Heck the same yeah. time, what Cody Lane has done, like he played by all of the rules. He has traveled from Washington state to division four, five of the six races, as was articulated. He has acquitted himself very well. He's earned more points than anyone. Like he deserves this 50 grand in my book. So I, I do think this is interesting because it is the time of year, big Jed, where this is on a grand stage and it's, and it is with people that have a lot of money and, and are, and are, very much in the spotlight right but this type of thing and these accusations whether founded or unfounded uh, they're flying at in series and at racetracks all across the country this time of year in 2021 and in every season right so let's just i, I don't know how much time you spend on this and i know that we're running long but bridge into just points related in general flopping gifted rounds like I, I don't know about you, Jed. Like I've been on every end of this stuff. Okay. Like I have, I have watched uh, a racer try to buy rounds to beat me out of a points championship. I have thrown a round for a, a friend of mine because I wanted to see him win the championship. I have been the recipient of a gifted round. Uh, like I'll, I'll break into to story time there. But let me give you the stage first. Like, I feel like I've been on every end of this, so I'm qualified to speak on it, but interested in hearing your views first. Uh, yeah, Luke, I, I, I think I've probably been involved in every situation in that as well in the past. And um, uh, as I've stated here on the, the show before multiple times, I, uh, uh, there's some skeletons in my closet that I wish wasn't there. Um, so not a fan, not a fan of it at all. Uh, certainly don't believe that uh, with the high stakes that are available these days for championships and, and big races and whatnot uh, just seems to be, seems to bring uh, too much light when these, these type things happen and they, they happen too often. So uh, definitely not a fan of it whatsoever and, and wish there was a way to make it go away. All right. So let me give a, go into story time a little bit for perspective. So of all of the, the accomplishments that I have been um, blessed to receive in my racing career, about to win my, my third NHRA world championship. It's okay. It's, it's over. Over. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's over. Um, and divisional championships, whatever. The, the one thing that I have never done, and I always say that I've never done, is I've never won a track championship, which is actually not technically true. But I don't say that I won a track championship because I still, to this day, almost 25 years later, don't feel right about it. The year is 1997, Big Jed. Texas Raceway had a separate Thursday night. We did it every night all year, high school points point series. It was awesome, right? It was there every Thursday night. And as that wound to an end, the very last race of the season, uh, I came in trailing 
my kind of arch nemesis and and just like so many um like points situations uh it's funny how you you develop like a, a rivalry and you just assume that even though you're very much cut from the same cloth and going after the same goal in a very much the same way that person tends to become the enemy right <laughs> so uh and and when you're removed from that you know like whatever it may be three five years later you're like that guy's a lot like i am like yeah, that guy's pretty cool right but in the moment you're just, just they get a beat them with all your might right especially at 16 17 years old which is where i was so <clears throat> as it plays out my opponent has to lose i think in this like i have to go two rounds further than he does and as we play out we get to the semifinals so he has to lose there i have to win the race and i'm trying to hook him but there the it was like a random draw system so it's me my nemesis one of my buddies well, my buddy hooks my nemesis and he beats him. Sweet, right? And we start celebrating. I, I win my round. We start celebrating as soon as we get back to the trailer. And I don't even know that it was like a spoken thing, but we both knew that I was going to win that final. Like there was no chance he wanted me to win. I wanted to win. Uh, he was not going to beat me, right? He was not going to attempt to beat me. And he left like on the first amber, right? So I freebie. And, and perhaps I would have won that round anyway. Uh, but I will never know that. And he will never know that. Yep. And it, it was awesome in the moment, right? I got my trophy. I got my championship. And it was literally days later that it just felt a little bit dirty to me. And ever since, it is never set right. And I guess the, the point of this is that you can create all of these different scenarios, either hypothetically or in real time of, you know, I'm competing for this or uh, this racer that I don't like is competing for this or my buddy is competing for this. And, and I've, like I say, I've been in every side of this situation. We can make this really complicated, but in reality, it's really simple, okay? My take from having been there is there is nothing that trumps having a little bit of honor like once you realize once you have been through this and i and i sense this from what you said as well jed once you realize what it takes to win a championship on whatever level right like it is a serious commitment once you go through that win lose or draw and you realize what it takes to do that you realize how much respect you have to have for the others that are trying to pursue it which is why now today I would never throw around for my best friend, nor would I accept a thrown round. Like I'm either going to win it or I'm going to lose it. And either way, I'm going to feel good about it. Like I don't want a championship that every time I look up at that trophy on the mantle, I think about the, the manner in which I want it and not feel good about it. There's just no honor in winning that way. Like the accomplishment is hollow. And ultimately, uh, like, what is the point? Yeah, it definitely dilutes the, the accomplishment, Luke. And, uh, you know, you, you just feel dirty. As you said, I've, it's been a long, long time since I was involved in anything like that. But uh, those skeletons still in the closet and um, wish, wish I could make them go away. But, you know, you live and learn. and 
from someone that's been there and obviously you're speaking from experience as well, just um, nothing, there's nothing worth winning that way. Cause that's not winning. That's, that's not how you, that, that doesn't give you the, the feel of a champion to go along with the, whatever the trophy or the check is, you know, you, you really, because those things, those things get put in a corner, they get spent, but that feeling inside of you never, ever leaves. So you just, you really, you just wiped away the entire accomplishment by basically cheating your way into it or, or helping someone cheat their way into it. So uh, that's, that's not something that, that I, I would want anyone else to, to have to deal with. Um, you know, I, I think about, cause I've, I've lost a championship that way and I've watched it happen and it was frustrating and aggravating and made me angry. And, and you think, man, why would I want to do that to someone else? That's a, exactly. yeah, that's a, it's a bad, bad feeling. So. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think there is a way I don't know, maybe somebody smarter than, than me, smarter than you, Jed, could come up with an objective way to police that. I don't know that you could ever completely eliminate it. I could just say, again, like from experience, I haven't been through it, like, how do you want to win? And, and it's even hard to fault those that, that, that fall victims to this because it's such an enticing trap. Like you and I both admitted, like at some point in our racing careers, we've been there right? We, we, it felt like in the moment, the accomplishment was outweighed the, the pride or the honor. But in the long term, I don't think for anybody that that's actually true. So again, I think it's easier to put in perspective once you've been through it. But if you haven't been through it, all I can do is urge you, like, just think about how you want to win. Yep. Yeah. And you'll never police it. As you said, this day and age, heck, Luke, somebody can go uh, nine, 10, 11 red on purpose, or they can do it on accident. Um, so, you know, somebody set the box very aggressively and turn it a little red. That's, that's not far fetched to think that, that racers are good enough to do that anymore. So you just never really know. So it's really down to the individuals. 100%. All right. So that went from a really fun topic to a really somber one, but I think we're going to close out there. That's all I got. You got anything else? That pretty much does it for me, Luke. Um, you know, it's uh, again, our listeners never really know when these things are being recorded unless we tell them, but guys, let me tell you, it's late. It's been a long day. Producer Mark is probably madder than 300 hails right now that we've dragged this thing out to, uh, almost midnight uh, on the East Coast. So, Mark, um, we apologize. I want you to know that before we get back together and talk at the end of the show. But he'll sorry. probably he'll probably hear this when he edits. He's no doubt snoring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. But uh, that pretty much wraps us up. It was a really good show. Really good discussions. Had a great time. Talked about some important stuff, Luke. So. As always, um, you know, it, even though it was long, it was uh, certainly a fun show and had a lot of uh, important topics that needed to be discussed. And by God, that's what we do here on Sports and Drag Racing Podcast. We tackle it all. 
we're we're just that bad ass. So. We really, we really tackle the the tough subjects like compbuzz.com. <laughs> yeah, just like that. Who else? What other podcast is talking about that? <laughs> but that does wrap us up, guys. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. It's been a long show, but we appreciate you tuning in. If you're still listening, uh, you're a you're a real trooper. So um, reach out to us. Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page is always open, never closes. We'd love to hear from you right there in the public view, or you can send a private message. Producer Mark, when he wakes up, he'll get those and check them out and let us know what was said and sent our way. But certainly want to hear from you, what you like, don't like, what's your opinion on some of the topics that we had to discuss. Let us hear from you. We need to hear from you, the listener, so we know that we're talking about stuff that you like to hear about. So reach out to us and tell us what's happening with you and, and what you want to hear more of or discuss more of. And um, Luke, it is uh, it's shout time. And I, I see you don't typically don't lay your shouts out in the, the show notes, but I see a shout here and it's uh, it's an important one. So I'm looking forward to this. I'll start off with shouts to the state of Ohio. O-H-I-O. All right, so here's the situation. It is almost midnight on the East Coast, and I'm in the Eastern time zone, Big Jed. I am in the Buckeye State. Yes, you are. I have given the Buckeye State down the road for the last month here on the podcast. Yes, you have. And I'm here. I'm at, I'm at Kill Care Raceway uh, for the Boo Banger, and... Um, I feel like I'm in enemy territory, Big Jed. I, I, I feel like <laughs> undoubtedly at some point this weekend, some from someone from Ohio is going to beat the hell out of me, hopefully only on the racetrack. And they are rightfully going to let me hear it. They're going to tell me how you don't come into Ohio and take our money. I think it's coming. I think it's inevitable. <laughs> I am clinging to two hopes, Big Jed. Number one, my hope is that Anyone from Ohio that listened to this podcast has long since tuned out. We have no listeners in this state. That's hope number one. Hope number two, I am technically in Ohio. I'm not far from the Kentucky and Indiana border. I'm hoping that I'm not really in the heart of Buckeye country. That's all I'm clinging to. I, I, I think it, the potential is there for a rough weekend here. I'm, I've dug this grave. I have made this bed. I will sleep in this bed, but here I am, Ohio. Come on. Well, I think you can rest on the fact that no one in Ohio listens to us. I, I don't think, think they, they care about the show. So um, you probably won't even hear a, a word about it. No big deal. Don't worry, Luke. Just go out there and do your thing. I got excited looking at the demographics because we actually had a listener from Maine. And I thought, wow, like, Kyle and Steve Coltrera, they tuned into the show. And then I remembered that my mother is on a trip and she is in the state of Maine. I'm like, oh, got it. Okay. Shouts Thanks, in addition to the state of Ohio. Shouts to Nick Eisenhower. Man, that's a rough beat. Shouts mm. to our friend Alan Reinhardt, who, what are, are, Jed, are we three weeks into the bad beat segment? We are. I okay. Think. Obviously, it is just coincidence, but Alan Reinhardt on the mic, Worldwide Technology Raceway last week, just gets this epiphany. You know, we should start a bad beat. And, he, and I went, whoa, <laughs> that's original. 
Nice work, Alan. <laughs> Shouts to converter changes on a timer for a prize. I'm down. I'm down. 15 minutes over under. Shouts to Cody Lane. Shouts to Roger Brogdon. Shouts to it's not even compbuzz.com. Like somebody told me the website you got to check out is compbuzz, but I had to put compbuzz in the Googler because it's a different, but if you just looking to throw away a couple hours of your life and smile and laugh and shake your head, whoo, check that out. Check that <laughs> out. Shouts to Jeff Sarah with his whole act of hold my fuel jug and watch this. I mean, I'm just telling you that wrong up. I was watching the live feed and I, I set the phone down and just started laughing. My man just went 800, 800. <laughs> and then he dialed the same thing. Love it. Love it. Shouts to Bob Pros. I feel like I belittled Bob Pros, not only for, for leaving him out of this discussion for two weeks, but basically saying that uh like among the names he doesn't belong in this discussion meanwhile he's leading the world <laughs> yeah shouts to bob bros nice work bob that's all i got excellent list once again luke really nice and um certainly uh certainly look forward to um seeing if these ohio boys can totally redeem themselves uh by getting after you this week at the boo banger our, our buddy good buddy disco dean Got the boo banger there at Kill Care. So I'm sure he's going to have a great big crowd, and I'm sure you're going to have a really good time. So I'm Win, lose, or draw, I feel like this is going to be fun. I got my run stickers today. You know how normally you would have run numbers or you would have run colors? Well, guess yeah. what? I don't know what all of the run stickers are, but I know what my two are. I am the ghost group and the skull group. <laughs> They're fantastic. <laughs> They're the best run stickers I've uh, ever seen. This place is decorated. The facility better than my neighborhood on halloween like we are all in for this and it's the first time in four months that i'm doing wheelies we had to test and tune today i got two in before the rain i did good wheelies the vega is back and if for some reason i cease to enjoy doing wheelies or do not do enjoyable wheelies i will park that and go 490s in a buggy Win, lose, or draw. If Ohio beats the hell out of me, I am going to have a good time here in Kilcare. Yes, you are. Sound like a great time. I'm envious. Get to hang out with Disco Dean and, and race at a great facility. So good for you. Good luck to you, Luke. Hope the, the bracket racing works out good for you there this week. And listeners, uh, lastly, if you like to uh, use the Twitter, and uh, Luke and I are huge fans of it, uh, tweet us. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Uh, real quick, you've heard the Manscape read. You know we got that. Our friends at Manscaped are helping keep this show alive, listeners. Go there. Go there. Promo code JED, 20% off, plus free shipping. It doesn't get any better than that. Treat your boys nice and clean yourself up a little bit. My goodness, you need it bad. Don't think you don't. Go see our friends at Manscaped. Get some of that product. Help keep the show rolling. That's it. We're done. It's over. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you real soon about more sportsman drag racing. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. 
neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, that's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at bteracing.com. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. 